Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Today's episode is brought to you by Mahina Offshore Services, which is the company run by John Neal, who has been a guest on the podcast many times before, and who is in fact the guest of today's episode. Besides sharing his advice on the podcast, John also takes people sailing in really cool locations like Scotland, New Zealand, Pacific Northwest, and the Azores. If you are looking to get some sailing experience and education in an offshore environment, then definitely check these out. I've done a podcast with John before about selecting a cruising boat, and if you're boat shopping or planning to be, he can help you in much more detail to find the kind of boat that works for you. He's also got a great online resource, which is a virtual offshore cruising seminar, and also some free resources on the website at mahina.com, so go check those out. Today, John and I are talking about sailing in Scotland and the North Atlantic Islands. Scotland is one of my favorite countries and also where I went to university and lived for several years, so I love talking about Scotland. It also sounds like a fantastic cruising destination, and John gives us some good tips on what to have on your boat and what to consider when you are heading to more northern latitudes, and also what is it actually like to sail the Scottish islands, Faroes, and Iceland. Now here we go with John and Neil. So thank you for being my guest again on the show. And I really wanted to talk to you about Scotland because you know a lot about Scotland and I love Scotland after having lived there for a few years. So uh, I know you do a lot of expeditions in Scotland kind of year after year. And I would love to know what is it about Scotland that actually brings you back there year after year? Well, it's several things. It's partly the um, the place, the the island's 
I'm really attracted to the furthest out on the edge parts of any country. So in British Columbia, I love Haida Gwaii, the west coast of Vancouver Island, the northern coast. Um, in Ireland, I find the northwest coast of Ireland, well, the whole west coast from the south right up to the Scottish border. That's very interesting. The bird life is fabulous in Scotland. The Neolithic history, and there's so many Neolithic sites. It's just the islands are rich in history. I've traveled around Scotland a bit, not to every single part of it, but I really love the West Coast and the islands to the north of Scotland. And so that means um, the Outer Hebrides, which are the very northwest, northwesternmost islands. Those are fabulous. Um, and then the Orkney, which are just above Scotland, but part of Scotland, and the Shetland, which used to be part of Norway and are just absolutely just uh, right across from Bergen. And so they actually have a lot of Norwegian place names. They have a lot of Norwegian uh, traditions and history. Their boats are Norwegian. And Norwegians go back and forth to buy cheap booze there because it's cheaper than in Norway. Uh, and then fascinatingly, the Faroe Islands are from uh, the Orkney. The Faroe Islands are just like a a day sail away, just like a 24-hour passage. And the pharaohs are associated with Denmark, but are their own country. They're fascinating. And then from there to Iceland is another day and a half passage. And then from there to Greenland is a 24-hour passage. It's just amazing that once you get up at that latitude, everything is so close. And um, I find that fascinating. But uh, Scotland, the history, the history, the islands, and the fact that there's no one there uh, sailing-wise. So uh, my thought is if you want to go where there's lots of other cruising boats, go where it's warm because that's where everyone wants to go. But if you go north, um, the coast of Sweden, north northwest coast of Sweden, coast of Norway, coast of Scotland, uh, there's no boats there. It's just amazing how uh, – and there's not very many people there. I was just looking up uh, regarding the Orkney. The population is within 1,000 of what it was in 1801. So in 220 years, um, the population, I think, has lost 1,000 people. So it's just always been around 18,000. I believe Shetlands are a little bit less than that. Um, Yeah, so it's a fascinating area. And the other thing that draws me to that area is the fact that the cruising guides and the charts are so fabulous. There's a British company called Imray, which has been around for a couple hundred years, and they do brilliant charts that are tied in with their cruising guides, and they update them, seems like every three years or so. So there's great aerial photos, uh, chartlets, current um, charts uh, in these cruising guides and charts, and so it's um, that makes it really easy. No, that's really good to know. And I completely agree on the, the fascination and the history part of Scotland. It's really intriguing. And uh, the Shetland Islands specifically, and I'm sure we'll talk about them a little bit more. Uh, they've been uh, really 
fascinating place for me. I've always uh, had Shetland sheepdogs growing up, and I still currently have one sitting behind me. Um, and I've always loved, you know, when I was a little girl, I loved Shetland ponies and, uh, you know, the Shetland sheepdogs. And, and I can't believe that I actually never went to the Shetland Islands when I lived in Scotland. So it's still on my bucket list. And uh, it's really interesting because, you, like you mentioned, the culture is a little bit Norwegian. So there's the Scandinavian element. And even their flag is a typical Scandinavian flag with a cross, just different colors, uh, which is really cool. So I can't wait to visit there someday. But you mentioned something interesting that there are no, not a whole lot of cruising boats out there. But are there facilities out there for those who are seeking them? Or are you kind of on your own? Um, you're on your own some places, but there are more and more facilities. They're very tiny. Um, so there's commercial fishing harbors. But the fishermen are very accommodating. And what during COVID, several of the communities in the Outer Hebrides, the islands to the northwest of Glasgow, several of those communities built new community marinas. And they are brilliant. And they are incredibly, the communities are very, very proud of them. And so they just, um, yeah, there are facilities. There's great showers and the the marinas that have been built are all within walking distance of small towns and distilleries. And uh, the other thing I didn't mention about Scotland, Orkney and Shetland was the music. Uh, the, the live traditional Celtic music is very much alive. Uh, University of Glasgow and also there's another university that have uh, Celtic music programs and they're really, really encouraging. There's a huge resurgence of traditional music and traditional dancing. So uh, there's nothing more fun than anchoring and going ashore to a village pub and hearing live Celtic music and maybe seeing step dancers. So that's really a highlight in my mind. It is. And I love that it's not out there for the tourists. It's there for the locals anyway. And anyone can join. It's not like a setup thing like, oh, we got a couple of paying tourists in town. Let's put a show up. It's just part of the culture, which is uh, just fascinating. Yeah, it's just their deal. It's they're do doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for tourists. Exactly. So. so how many times or maybe I should be asking how many miles have you done in, in Scotland? Do you have any idea? Like you've always been going there for a few times. Yeah, for about 25 years. Um, I counted this morning, and it's just five times. It seems like more than that, but um, five times um, going through. And I've done crew changes for expeditions there um, every time I've gone through. So between the expeditions, I always have a week or a week or more off where I cruise around or leave the boat and do a land trip and explore, do hiking and uh, I really enjoy that. I think a lot of cruisers don't ever get off their boats. And if you can budget a little bit, it doesn't have to cost much at all. Uh, getting off and exploring on land anywhere that you cruise. But Scotland is uh, very, very accessible for that. They have a really cool law in Scotland that is called the right to roam or freedom to roam. And it means you can hike on anyone's estate, even the king's estate. I did that at Balmoral. As long as you don't molest the animals or stay more than two nights or start a fire that, you know, burn the forest down, but you can go anywhere. And I know Finland has the same law and I think Norway may as well, but it's just great if you're a hiker because it means that uh, nothing's off limits. 
within reason. You're not supposed to camp within sight of someone's home and things like that. Yeah, exactly. No, it's exactly the same thing in Finland. And when I moved to Scotland, everybody was raving about this really cool thing that they have. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't imagine not having that. Of course, it's a thing you can go walk and hike and, and you know, bike anywhere you, you want to. But uh, as I have later found out, it's not the case in every country. So, uh, but no, it is yes. wonderful in Scotland because they do have a, quite a lot of that sort of wilderness area. It's, you know, once you get a little bit north of, of uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh, it's not very populated. It gets quite, if not, you know, wilderness, then, you know, sparsely populated at least. <laughs> Well, it's kind of wilderness. I was just looking on the chart at the Cape Wrath, which is the very northwestern corner of mainland Scotland. And I was just amazed how few places there are road access. I've never driven along that coast. I've, I've sailed up and down it many times. But there are. it's just kind of like the west coast of Vancouver Island. There are huge areas where there's no road access, the only way you can get to a place is by hiking many, many kilometers in or going coming by boat. And there are very few airports as well. And so when when I start the expedition series, which starts in Oban, it's a two and a half hour train ride north of Glasgow. There are no airports. It's that's that's how you get there on the train, which I love because the train goes up the west coast of Scotland and it's just very, very spectacular. It is. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the train rides there are beautiful. And if you can't get there by train, you will by bus. So it's very well connected, just not by airplane. Uh, but you really don't don't need that. And you appreciate the whole scenery a whole lot more from a land level anyway. Um, I'm curious, now that we talked a little bit about, uh, you mentioned, you know, Faroes and Iceland are technically not that far away if you do a bit of a island hopping trip. So would it be a feasible trip in terms of, you know, currents and winds and patterns and such to do a round trip from Scotland? If you go Scotland, Shetland, Faroes, go to Iceland and head back, is that a doable trip? Totally doable. So what I did the last trip was even a bit further than that, uh, from Norway to Bear Island, halfway to Svalbard, and then uh, spent some time in Svalbard getting up a to the edge of the polar ice cap. And then from Svalbard to Jan Mayen, which is a tiny Norwegian weather station island, uh, has quite a bit of World War II history. It has only 17 Norwegian scientists and naval personnel on it. And then from there to Iceland uh, is like a day uh, overnight passage. And then Iceland is very interesting cruising because it's so sparsely populated and there are so many safe harbors. And so we made landfall at the very northwestern corner of Iceland, which was a port of entry, cleared in customs there, and then just harbor hop, day sailing the whole way down, all the way to uh, Reykjavik and then past Reykjavik toward Greenland. And so it, it's, it's like 24 hours a day. There are minimal tides. There's no, um, the weather forecasts are excellent. And um, it's very interesting sailing. And then from there to the Faroes is, um, I'm trying to remember how many miles it is, but it's like a day and a half passage. And then the, from the Faroes to Norway or to uh, Shetland is another day or day and a half. So yeah, it's all, it's all really close once you get up there. And what I would encourage people to think about if they are interested in real high latitude adventure is to purchase the boat instead of buying it in, North America, 
consider buying a boat in Sweden or in Scotland or in England and starting there and just enjoying cruising that part of the world before then following the wind and the currents all the way down through Europe, down to Gibraltar into the Med, if you want, or out to Canaries and across to the Caribbean. There's just, there's a lot to be said for starting one's cruise in that area. You know, one of the most important things we talked about on the uh, Purchasing a Boat podcast was the importance of support facilities where you buy the boat. If you buy the boat in Turkey or Greece or someplace where they're where it's going to be difficult to do the refit. That's one thing. But in Scotland, I've just been researching this for a client. There are really excellent dry storage facilities in refit yards ashore in Glasgow, not so much in Edinburgh, but in Glasgow for sure. And um, uh, this would just be a great starting place to get have the refit done in the winter, the boat's inside. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to lot to recommend it also for a place to overwinter so if you sailed across there during the winter you don't want to be cruising and you may want you may not want to be on the boat but there are good dry storage places and if you need refits done that's a very it's a very reasonable place with really high quality oh yeah yeah that's good to know well uh, what about the sailing conditions in this kind of uh, north atlantic route that we're talking are they fairly consistent? I imagine it's a little more complex than uh, the Caribbean style sailing where the wind is always uh, coming from one direction. So talk to me a little bit about the conditions uh, in, around Scotland, the islands, Faroes, North Atlantic. Yeah, I think the, the best word would be dynamic. So they're, they're frequently changing. The forecasts are good. And I've sailed a lot of different abroad from from April until October in that area. So a pretty long part of the season. And from what I've found, the best sailing and the best weather, the least rain, most consistent weather, believe it or not, is in the month of May. And so I always planned when I, I used to leave Mahina Tiari, my Halvergrassi 46, I overwintered it in Sweden uh, many, many winters. And then I would join the get back and relaunch the boat mid-April and then take off for Scotland or for Norway in May. And uh, that's just a really good time. Uh, Mid-June and July tend to be fairly rainy, believe it or not. I would think they would be the best, but uh, September is a, another good time. But October is too late. It's getting pretty gnarly. So just like uh, the Pacific Northwest, or maybe like the Northeast, the, the summer season is relatively short. It's not uh, real long. Yeah, exactly. And I do have to say, uh, coming from Finland, when I moved to Scotland, I was positively surprised about the Scottish weather, which was not nearly as bad as the legends say, at least not to me with you know my experience of coming from, from a bit of a colder country. But it rained a lot less, although with the caveat that this was on the east coast of Scotland, so Edinburgh. But uh, yeah, I was expecting it to be, you know, walking with an umbrella every day, all day. But no, it was not that bad at all. <laughs> no, it's drier than, I don't know what the rainfall is, but for me, it feels quite a bit drier than Vancouver. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Just, just wanted to get that out there. It's not as bad as, as people may think when they think of Scotland. It's not actually that rainy. <laughs> Annika, a uh, couple of things, if you're preparing a boat, 
having a diesel furnace, a forced air or hydronic, but I prefer forced air, diesel furnace is paramount. It just totally makes a difference of being comfortable or camping out. The other thing that makes a huge difference is having a protected helm place, helm position, and ideally a protected cockpit. And so if you have enclosing canvas with clear Isinglass windows in it that can enclose the cockpit and make it kind of a solarium for Scotland, that is just the difference of night and day. For sure. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, on the topic of heating, you mentioned diesel heaters. What are your thoughts on, I've seen a few boats with these sort of wood-burning uh, stoves. Is there any difference if you are planning on installing one or the other anyway, some sort of a method of heating, um, whether to go with diesel or a wood-burning stove? It would just be like heating your house, Annika. If you enjoy heating your house with a wood fire where you have to get up in the middle of the night and stoke it, that's one thing. Actually, it's not quite as simple as that because on a boat, I my first boat had a wood fireplace. And what I found is downdrafts, especially if you're sailing, a downdraft coming off the mainsail, blows the smoke and the ash into the boat. And so uh, not very practical at all. Well, Basto, there's two German companies that make forced air and hydronic heating systems, Wabasto and Espar or Ebersprocker. And Wabasto is the quietest. And um, I think they're both super dependable, but Wabasto is the one that really is the top choice for most yachts people. They're tiny. So these... These heating systems are the size of a football, and they are built to go in trucks and tractors and buses in Europe. And so they're relatively inexpensive. They use a, a tenth of a gallon an hour of fuel, so they use almost no fuel. They use an amp or two of electricity, and they're thermostatically controlled. So it's just like having, it's just like home. And boy, it's such a difference having the boat not get damp and moldy, but being able to dry things out. Uh, the other thing that works really well in Scotland is to have drying racks, clotheslines in the engine room if you have space, because uh, it just means that follies and mittens and gloves and hats and things can get dried out quickly. Yeah, so these are really good practical tips for for a little bit of a higher latitude sailing. So make sure, you know, you keep the boats and yourself warm and, you know, protected and all that. What else is there to know about Scotland? I know uh, you mentioned Iceland doesn't have huge tides. What's the tide situation in, in Scotland like? Huge. 
<laughs> huge and big currents, uh, stronger than I haven't sailed in your area of northeastern Canada, but I know you have giant tides there. And in British Columbia, we have big tides. So same deal, uh, even more, even larger tidal swings. But there are really good tidal atlases and good digital programs as well for tides. And so it's just a matter of understanding that the tide really rules everything. It rules where you go, when you can go, the tidal currents do. You just learn. It's the same thing cruising in BC or Alaska. The first thing you do in the morning is go through the tide atlas, put post-its on for each hour of the day and say, okay, well, the tide is flooding north at two o'clock. So we want to be at this narrow point where we'll have five knots of current behind us at two o'clock. And then you just work backward from that. But for people who haven't worked around large tides, it's, it's a little bit of a learning curve, but it's not rocket science. Yeah, exactly. And it helps if there are indeed those resources to help you walk through it. And is that the same further up in the Shetland Islands as well then? Yes. Same, similar deal. The Shetlands have less, um, they're more open than the Orkney and then the Inner Hebrides. And so you don't have the constriction of the water flowing uh, through narrow passages. So it's not as, that's an interesting question. I don't think the tidal range is as great further north because it certainly isn't in the Faroes. Yeah, exactly. Tapers off the further you go, maybe, or, or something along those lines. Um, I would love to talk a little bit more about the Shetland Islands. Like I mentioned, I'm quite fascinated with them. And uh, I know there's, uh, I think, around 100 islands, but most of them are not inhabited at all. So what is the attraction, uh, in your view, to go to Shetland, which is, uh, what did you mention, about a day sail away from the Orkneys? Well, the nice thing is that Fair Isle, the island that's famous for the knitting, is just in between uh, Orkney and Shetland. So that makes a perfect stop. And then it's just a day, two day sails away. Relatively few boats go to Orkney and very few boats go to Shetland. There is a really good harbor and marina in um, the capital, which is Lurwick. It's an interesting place. If any of your followers have watched the BBC crime drama called Shetland, that is um, really, uh, it really shows the islands well. So there are small communities. There's a lot of history with the Shetland bus, which was the smuggling system to the resistance in Norway. They used fishing boats to smuggle arms uh, to Norway all during World War II. And there's a new, fairly, fairly new museum to the Shetland bus and to the um, resistance movement that's not too far north of Lorwick. But yeah, just, I, I've i only visited Shetland uh, twice, I think, but um, it's an area that I'd like to explore, uh, maybe on land, because there are uh, bridges and buses and ferries and things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I do love that TV show, Shetland, that you mentioned. I haven't necessarily watched every season of it. Uh, it's it's really good. Uh, and, and read the books as well. And uh, what I love about Shetland is the the landscape is quite almost barren, but it's very beautiful looking. But also you mentioned the, you know, the more recent history, but there's also a lot of the very old history, which goes well beyond what you know we see often in uh, in even in rest of Europe or here in North America, it goes more into the Neolithic era, living and and these early peoples who lived there. And uh, 
Yeah, that's just very fascinating. There's a lot of podcasts out there about yeah, that kind of history as well, uh, which is really, really fascinating as well. So we've talked now about, you know, you sailing in Scotland, and I know you're going back there later this year again. So what kind of boat do you have? We talked about, you know, all the good qualities that you would want to have on a boat uh, when you sail up there. So what do you sail when you go up to Scotland? So I charter an Elan 434, 43-foot boat built in Slovenia from a Scottish guy. And it's actually a brilliant boat. It's stiffer and fast, probably considerably more solidly built than the bulk of the mass-produced uh, European boats. And um, that's that works out really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually haven't um, heard a lot about the brand. I've seen it pop up ever so often on the European listings um, here and there. But how many people does that boat fit that you, you sail on? It has, that's the thing that's amazing about it. I think it sleeps 10. I only take six students. So uh, it has two double cabins forward and two double cabins aft and uh, single berths in the settee in the main cabin. So it has a, an amazing amount of space. And that's interestingly the same boat that I use in New Zealand or the same model. So it's uh, just a really solid, it's a, it's a low volume builder. They don't build anywhere near the volume of boats of Hanze and Daler and Beneteau, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's uh, good to know about this a little bit of lesser known uh, European brands as well. Before we move totally away from uh, North Atlantic, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the Faroes. Have you sailed there a lot? They seem a little bit, I don't know much about them. So to me, they seem just kind of this magical group of islands somewhere in the region. Yeah. So Faroes are just straight. Um, let me get my chart out here. They're just west-northwest of Shetland on the way to Iceland. And they are very interesting. Only a handful of boats go there. It's not um, boats that are going across the North Atlantic. So every season, a handful of boats come from Nova Scotia across to, uh, or Newfoundland, across to Greenland, and then to Iceland, and then to Faroes, and then to Scotland or Norway. And so it's just boats that are passing through. The Faroes have big tides. They're small islands, but they're fairly, uh, they're fairly populated. And they have a massive amount of tunnels. Because it's so difficult to run ferries, it's, the weather's quite uh, brutal there in the winters. They've, they've become experts at doing undersea tunnels. And so they actually, Faroese companies, build tunnels for different countries around the world. They're so expert at doing that. I found they have a yacht club. They have a sailing club in the capital. And um, one of the things I really enjoy when I get to a new group of islands or a new place is hiring a van and a driver and taking my crew of six on a day or multi-day trip just to see what we can see of the land. We did that. We do that almost everywhere. Did that in Iceland, did that in Faroes. And um that was a really cool way to see the pharaohs, just to get a quick overview. Uh, there's lots of harbors there. Commercial fishing is still very, very important. Whaling was important until very recently. And so there are places to moor. There aren't tons of anchorages. It's pretty exposed, but uh, it's not 
it's not a problem because of the good little municipal harbors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for anyone who is looking for some visual views of uh, sailing in these areas, it's a great YouTube channel. A Norwegian guy called uh, Erik Andera, uh, otherwise known as uh, No Bullshit Just Sailing. So he's very much just a single solo sailor who sails uh, from Norway to Shetland and back, usually in the winter. So he does uh, kind of unusual stuff. And he's been attempting to go to Greenland for a couple of times now through this route that we're talking about. So if someone is looking for like, how does it actually look like out there? He's got a great channel with, with a lot of footage from those areas. Now, I wanted to ask you, I was recently chatting with one of your previous clients, actually, Julian Gio, who told me that they had bought their new boat or new to them, Malo 39, and it was a, from a previous client of yours. So your clients bought your previous client's boats. <laughs> so does that happen often with your, you obviously know and connect a lot of people to boats. So is that something that happens often? It happens all the time. Since I've been doing the consulting uh, for 46 years, for way more than 10,000, I lost track at 10,000, way more than 10,000 clients. And I include for the single flat rate fee of nine, $950 US dollars, I include help selling the boat. And so many, many times, this just happened yesterday. It happens sometimes weekly. And I have several boats that are now on their third owners. I just keep selling. I don't sell it. I don't take any money from anyone, but I just connect them up. And so I just got an email yesterday from a guy whom I helped six years ago find a Halbergrassi 43 in the Channel Islands between off the coast of France. He sailed all over the North Atlantic and uh, islands, Atlantic islands, up to, I think almost up to Canada on the Atlantic coast. And he just emailed me and said, I just got to Martinique and I'd like to sell my boat. I think. And uh, he said, I've replaced everything. The rigging, the a brand new engine is going in. All the electronics are new. The sails are new. So what I do is I just pass that information on to whomever I know, know that's interested in uh, finding a boat. And it's amazing how quickly those connections work out. Uh, another friends of mine, colleagues of mine, actually the Halberg Grassy sales manager that I bought Mahina Tiari from, he and his wife uh, sold their boat in during COVID. They actually sold it to some people from, from Montreal. And now after three years, they just uh, let me know that it was for sale. And it sold within two days at full asking price. And so boats. So it was interesting. The market cooled about two months ago. When I did that update with you, when I just had come back from New Zealand and we did that update about pricing and it said things are starting to level off finally, there aren't the bidding wars, that lasted for two months. And all of a sudden we're back to full price offers, multiple full price offers within days of new listings, which is um, a bummer, but it's just the market. So there's people are back into wanting to find a boat and have an adventure. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what it's all about. So people are definitely still yearning to get out there. But it's interesting to hear because, you know, I've talked to obviously a lot of people through the podcast and quite a few of them have said like, oh, this, our boat wasn't listed anywhere. Like we bought it before it was listed. So now we're getting an inside look on how this actually happens. Like, well, yeah, okay. It's word of mouth. Exactly. Well, is there anything else that we haven't covered about the uh, Shetland Islands or Scotland or uh, any other uh, 
Oh, yeah, there is one thing. So uh, American Sailing Association, ASA, the guy who does their podcasts is a follower of yours. And he contacted me and asked if I would do a series of live podcasts, video um, for American Sailing Association. And I'm doing the first one. It's sold out. They can only take a thousand people. And that's sold out right away. That's February 28th, but it's going to be recorded and available for uh, six months. And that is how to start your cruising adventure. And so it's just a big overview. I've also agreed to do on March 28th, Boat Buying 101, which is uh, a video version, more expanded because it's 90 minutes long, of the program I did with you about, I think, about two years ago. So uh, that's a subscription fee. I'm not exactly sure what the non-ASA pricing is. I, I think it's 29 if you're ASA member, 39 if you're not. But that's a um, that would be super helpful to your followers that are looking to buy a boat. Then on June 13th, I'm going to do shorthanded sailing techniques. And on August 15th, I think I'll actually be in Finland for this one, I'm going to do worldwide anchoring techniques, uh, tactics. Uh, so just uh, a really broad range of anchoring tactics that most people haven't heard of. So that's, that's really interesting. Uh, and I'm looking for anyone that has a boat in Finland, in the islands uh, off Helsinki or in the Åland Islands between Finland and Sweden, because I'm going to Finland this summer and I'd love to sail there because my Finnish friends say that the sailing in those islands in that archipelago in the Bothnian Sea are is fabulous. So if anyone has a boat in Finland, email me sailing at mahina.com and invite me <laughs> to come and go sailing. Just for a brief time. Oh, fantastic. Yes, I have heard the sailing uh, on those islands is fabulous. I've only ever been through there on a cruise ship because that's quite a common way to get from Finland to Sweden. But it looks absolutely fabulous. And obviously with a sailboat, you can explore a lot more than you could on a on a cruise ship. So oh, I look forward to hearing your stories from there. And thank you for sharing this educational series that you're doing with ASA. That's uh very handy and you spot on for probably a lot of listeners. So I'll link that in the description as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. And I still have a few uh, bursts left and I did a 50% discount to fill up, make sure everything's full in Scotland. So if you're interested in sailing with me for 10 days of intensive training in a fabulous area with very dynamic wind and tides, that's this May, April and May. Mahina.com is the website, or, or just email me, sailing at Mahina, for any details on that. Perfect. Then I'll put the links in their description as well. And uh, like with it, it doesn't uh, rain as much uh, as the legends say in Scotland. It's beautiful sailing, like we just talked. So uh, <laughs> I hope some, some of my listeners will go out and sail with you. And if they do, let me know. I'd love to hear all about it. And thank you, John, again, for a great chat. It was great to catch up with you. Thanks, Annika. And I'll catch up with you after um, Finland this summer and let you know how that worked out. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you're like me, you are probably full of sailing dreams by now. I don't know about you, but these kinds of places sound really interesting to me. And I can't wait to explore these on a sailboat one day. You know the deal, next week, new destination, new stories, 
You can find me in the online world as Liverboard Sailing Podcast. There's also a website, which is just liverboardsailingpodcast.com with all the episodes neatly organized in seasons and also by destination and topic. So if you haven't uh, seen that before or been there before, go check it out. And I will see you next week. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.